Emma and Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education, presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. Episode 18, Leading Pedagogy and Reflective Practice in Times of Change, with Abby Chase. Welcome back everyone. We have got a very special episode for you today. We have another podcast guest and it's a, a bra- she is a brand new podcast guest. We work at Cardiff Met with some absolutely top-notch schools and it's an absolute privilege at Cardiff Met to work with those colleagues. As um, is most often the case, we learn as much from them as we hope they do from us. So we're going to be looking this episode and trying to pick the brain of our our lovely podcast guest who I will introduce in a moment about um, how she and colleagues at her school led on pedagogy and reflective practice in times of change so in these coronavirus times so without further ado I would like to uh, welcome you to Abby Chase. Abby Chase welcome to the podcast. Hello thank you it's great to be here. (laughs) <laughs> so I think the first thing to ask you is is to tell us a bit about your role at Baysleg School and your main responsibilities there. Yeah, no problem. So I am associate head teacher for pedagogy and reflective practice that sits on the senior leadership team. That includes a lot of um, different kind of roles as part of that. Um, Obviously, leading pedagogy and reflective practice is the main part. I work very closely with a team of leads of skills. So in all of our curriculum subject areas, we have a leader of skills and we meet half termly, if not slightly more regularly to talk all things pedagogy, all things reflective practice. It's a great leadership structure because we've got this kind of brilliant team working in and across AOLEs to develop our pedagogy and reflective practice. I'm also still still a teacher. Um, I teach 50%. I am an English teacher. And for me, retaining a significant proportion of my time within the classroom is 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 crucial to make sure that the reflective practice and and the pedagogy leadership is also informed by my own involvement in practice as well as working on that I'm also a research champion which is a role that I really really enjoy in partnership with Cardiff Met that involves working with our senior mentor our ITE senior mentor to help develop our student teachers. My role is particularly to do with the research assignments and supporting our ITE students in their in their research and their own reflective practice in a school-based context. And I also work with our senior mentor on the school-led training days. I'm also NQT induction mentor, which is an important role I think to have on top of the the ITE role, because I think that transition between ITE and NQT is such a big jump. Having an understanding of kind of both sides of that transition is really important. And most recently, I've taken over line management of our brilliant team of cover supervisors, 
this is a role that as a school we're trying to transform really as an important professional development, career development opportunity for new teachers. So we've got a team of seven at the moment, five of those are NQTs and in a time where the job market is incredibly difficult, they have taken on cover supervisor posts with us and I work closely with them to help them, support them in developing their practice so that when those subject specific jobs do come out, they are fully equipped and ready to go. So yeah, I think it's the best role. Well, that's a seriously impressive job description. Um, you certainly got a lot on your plate there. And there's plenty that we could explore, I guess, in a podcast episode uh, today. Uh, but we're interested in looking at how you've kind of um, revamped and reformed the, the mission and the values uh, statement of your school and how that was was potentially kind of buffeted by the coming of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. I think what we need to do now is to just go back a little bit in time before the pandemic took hold. So you were in your role, you'd been looking at developing whole school pedagogy and reflective practice um, and you're already leading on that and how and why did it come about that you were wanting to sort of initiate the strategies that you talked about so compellingly back in July for us you talked about the base leg pillars and I'm really keen to know how that came about before you were faced with the prospect of making that work in the context of a pandemic yeah so this started uh i started on this before officially kind of formally taking up my role as associate head so the post was to start at the start of the academic year in, in the september but i knew i had secured the post in the kind of late april so i had a summer term to really think about what i wanted the role to look like and i think that that was really important because it was a brand new role on on a restructured leadership team looking at new curriculum there were all sorts of other exciting changes going on in the school and i thought this was a really important opportunity for us to kind of evaluate where we were and, and where I kind of could see the role going and what we wanted to achieve and I think what one thing I always feel really strongly about is is making sure that what you do suits where you are so you know I, I could have gone in with lots of ideas and thoughts but if they didn't suit where we were it wouldn't work it wouldn't be the kind of most successful option so I spent the whole of that summer term just researching and, and when I say research there it was all within the kind of walls of our school. I was going out and about into lessons, you know, walking around the classroom, seeing what was going on, talking to staff, talking to lots of our learners. I held quite a few listening to young learners sessions where I was just asking them, you know, what makes a really exciting lesson for you? What, what do you think good learning looks like? tell me about a lesson you really enjoyed why did you enjoy it all of those questions to try and establish where we were because i i genuinely think there was excellence and brilliant ideas and fantastic lessons going on across our school everywhere but the biggest issue i 
kind of saw once I started getting stuck into it was that we're a big school, we're a big site. Geographically, subject areas are somewhat isolated into certain areas of the school. Being such a big staff, it was kind of quite natural for pockets of pedagogy to be kind of in certain areas, but not in others. And uh, and one thing that really stood out to me was that the excellence and and the brilliance and the fantastic things going on in one area weren't being seen by everyone and for me the fact that that was all happening on one site i i was just kind of left with this question over the summer term how do we bring it together how do we unite our approach to pedagogy so that we're able to more effectively share and celebrate and develop what we're doing on a daily basis and then we can start looking outwards to other research and other ideas to help improve that even more. So I really wanted to start with us, where we were, what we wanted. And I think timing wise, it just all seemed to fit into place. Our fairly, at the time, new head teacher, um, who's also worked at the school for a long time, wanted to go through quite an extensive rebrand of our vision, our values. We've got quite a traditional reputation. I think basic school, it's got it's got a long standing reputation, but a lot has changed and, and we wanted that we wanted to reflect that in our branding. And I know our head teacher really wanted pedagogy to sit at the core of our identity. What do we stand for? in terms of our pedagogy what can our learners our parents expect from us as a school so so yeah it was a lot of reflection a lot of question asking um i kind of left the summer term with more questions than answers i think but that made me feel really excited about september and where we could go with it and the biggest thing for me that came out of it was as you've already mentioned emma the the basic pillars which have kind of um, taken off over the last 18 months. So those pillars are your new statement of your vision and values, I guess, are they? So t- tell us about those. Yeah, so the basic pillars, it, as an English teacher, I think I'm notorious now for a lot of kind of uh, cheesy metaphors, etc. but I think they work. What What I kind of established after doing a lot of this research was that there were things that were consistent and similar in these brilliant learning experiences and when these when these concepts were mastered that's that's where the brilliance was and and what what i really wanted for for everyone for staff and for myself because pedagogy is such a big role you know you can almost get lost in it I wanted something that would unite us and help us to focus our professional development. So we kind of synthesized everything or I synthesized everything into our four basic pillars. So I'll just kind of explain each of them in turn. The key thing though to note is that the pillars aren't, they don't work as standalone or separate entities. They very much support and develop each other and the pillars kind of metaphor was was intentional this idea that if you get these pillars right the learning that that kind of is is stands above it or is supported or held up by it is is the best quality that we've seen in our school so the first pillar is high quality modeling 
And as staff, as teachers, we very much um, see ourselves part of this pillar as well as pupils. This idea of modelling being really important to helping development. So as teachers, we're language models, we're behaviour models, we're relationship models in the classroom. We model everything we want our pupils to, to achieve. We model examples of work. We use pupils' work as models. So we really got to grips with modelling in all it. Uh, forms and as I said staff being very much a part of that we also explored lots of exciting developments in live modeling so constructing models live with the pupils co-constructing with them and the impacts that that had on workload and lesson planning time the second pillar is challenge for all uh, th this is one that I get quite passionate about challenge for all that encompasses all areas of challenge so more able right down to your most significant additional learning needs I, I found myself frustrated with some challenge ideas that seem to miss out those kind of middle learners you know the ones that aren't perhaps on a particular border but could achieve more if they were appropriately challenged so we really wanted a pillar that was the place challenge at the appropriate places but was also inclusive the idea that everybody should be able to be the best they can be which also became one of our mission our kind of core values in line with our rebranding the third pillar pace and variety uh, pace is something, and I think this comes from my work with ITE students in NQTs, they're constantly saying to me, you know, I, I need to develop my pace, I, I need to think about my pace, but I, I wasn't sure that that concept was always understood. I wondered if there was a bit of a misconception that a pacey lesson was fast all singing, all dancing, they're doing this task, then this task, then this task. And I really wanted to break that down because sometimes a very slow lesson, if targeted appropriately, is the best pace for those learners. So we wanted pace that was learner-led. If they need more time, give them more time. Don't stick to a plan because that's what you've planned. If they've got it, move on. So we've kind of worked a lot on that. And then variety was important because we felt as staff and for pupils, it's very easy to fall into a kind of safe repertoire of strategies. And we're acknowledging that as staff, varying our practice and experimenting is just important for keeping us motivated as it is for our pupils. And then the final pillar is metacognition, which is obviously crucial. It underpins all of the other three, that idea of how and why we're learning. And a lot of this has been developed through oracy. Metacognition works best when it's explicit. And we found that really high quality oracy development works hand in hand with metacognitive classrooms where you've constantly got this language of I'm going to do this because I think this because I want to achieve this so I might use this. So we've worked really hard on that. And I've also trained with Voice 21 last year as an oracy leader, which has helped massively with that. Their, their strategies are brilliant. I would urge any teachers to get research in there because their strategies are phenomenal and what that's done to help us develop that metacognition has been really, really important. So, so yeah, that's the pillars. <laughs>
How compelling to hear you talk about this, but also to talk about the significance of student teachers in all of this, who I think you're right, sometimes uh, might chase something, a target, but not really understand what that means in relation to learning. You know, they, they think, right, I've got to do this because I've been told that, that that's, that's going to improve my teaching, but they've not necessarily stepped back to think, well, if I, if I do increase my pace, what's that going to mean in relation to this task? You know, is that what's that going to mean for learners? So I think that note of just thinking deeply as a as a, a whole body of staff about what great pedagogy is, what it looks like, and how it works in different contexts, but how you know we are un- united in certain approaches that we take is fascinating, but also lays the foundations for for real significant growth in as a whole school. So thank you for that. And I like the metaphor because if you take one of those pillars away, then the whole thing falls down. So I get it. It's good. <laughs> I like exactly. it. <laughs> so, of course, then you had this really strong new vision and foundation of these pillars to, to build from, which was probably quite timely when coronavirus hit. So when that happened and when we when we it became clear that we were going to go into that first lockdown, what were your main concerns as an associate head about pedagogy? So yeah, you're totally right. It kind of felt like a big kick in the teeth. You know, we'd done all this work and it, we were building so much momentum and then lockdown hit. And I, I wrote down one word for this question and it was just panic. That's what I felt, a, a real overwhelming sense of panic. You know, we were making so much progress and now this lockdown has hit. Where does that leave us? My biggest concerns were rooted in the fear of digital overload as in my role kind of thinking about reflective practice and looking out to to external research as well I just I remember there were days when I felt completely overwhelmed by the vast extent of research and ideas and and strategies and things that were being trialed everywhere and promoted and you know on, on the one hand it was really exciting because so many different schools and colleagues and teachers were trialing so many different things but on the other hand I did feel very overwhelmed by it I kind of thought well you know you get that kind of teacher guilt don't you should we be doing that is that what everyone else is going to do will that work for us and I found that quite difficult at times I think the reason for that was that I had a real fear that digital platforms would start to overshadow or overpower pedagogical aims and that that was something that I was really really worried about because in in my head the longer the lockdown went on and the longer we allowed digital platforms to overshadow pedagogy, the more we would lose sight of our vision that we'd worked so hard to to build. And the other thing I was really concerned about was losing that connection, that contact, both with our pupils and our staff. We'd worked really hard to build those links in and across areas of learning and to kind of unite us in our approaches to pedagogy. And then this literal distance I worried that that would seep into the work we'd done on pedagogy. So yeah, I would say those are my two biggest concerns, the the digital influence and losing that, that connection in line with our vision. 
So, I mean, a lot of us have have learned, I guess, from this move to online pedagogy, some stuff is universal when it comes to pedagogy, but some stuff ends up looking very different. How did you end up making that move? How did you lead it? Because, of course, you would have been, I guess, uh, having quite an influence on what was going on. How How did it end up working with you? So this is where the pillars became kind of they they lived up to their metaphor of kind of just holding everything up and I had to we we looked at lots of different things and lots of different ideas but the pillars just kept just rooted it was constantly you know when you felt yourself going off on a tangent or diversion we'd constantly be bringing ourselves back to the pillars and asking ourselves is this in line with what those pillars stand for so before we made any big decisions on what we wanted our pedagogy to look like moving more onto those online platforms again we did a lot of research a lot of reflective practice a lot of that took place at slt level there was a lot of late night reading and you know getting stuck into all the research papers and the work published on twitter which is so helpful to give you a kind of overview of some of the ideas that are out there and then you can follow various reading from there so lots of reading lots of research We also, or I felt that in order to make such a big shift like this, it couldn't be a top-down approach. Everybody's lives were in so much kind of, or in a state of so much change. We felt that we wanted everybody to kind of have a bit of control over this and a bit of say in how this would look. So we trialed things like online lessons with staff. So before we'd even gone out to teach pupils live, we held a few online lessons with staff where, you know, we were kind of saying, how does that look if you're logged in as a pupil? How does that feel? What would make it better? How's the chat? How, how are all the functions? What, do we, what can we see as being the issues? So we worked with staff to put ourselves in the shoes of our pupils. And then before the, well, towards the end of last summer term, this was all taking place. It was a very busy summer term. We also did uh, lesson trials with our pupils, with our school council. Um, So we had school council logged in and we, we were really honest with them, just kind of saying, you know, this is what it could look like. Here are some options. Which ones do you prefer? Which ones feel best? How would you suggest we improve it? So lots and lots of research and reflection before any final decisions were made. And then one thing that was really important, as I've said, is to keep change or what felt like big, scary change as minimal as possible. So whilst other schools were rightly so looking at Teams, even though Google at that point were a little bit behind the development that Teams had managed to make in that short space of time, we stuck to our guns and thought, you know, we're a Google school already. We've got Google Classroom. Google will catch up. We're going to go with Google Meets for for our teaching and not make the switch to teams because then it's less that staff have to learn and pick up and then when we returned for that brief period in July I did a lot of professional development professional learning with staff Um, we called it returning reconnecting and rebuilding our pillars 
So again, I was very honest with staff. We kind of went back to the pillars, you know, this is what we said each pillar would contain. Let's ask ourselves right now, what easily transfers online and what doesn't? And we'll start with what easily transfers. So we looked at each pillar, what was easy to replicate online. And we started with our video tutorials, first of all. So we didn't make the immediate jump to live teaching. We built it up gradually. Staff confidence was really important. Staff trust in these digital tools. And, and as I've said, the whole time we were constantly coming back to the pillars and we stripped them back, I think, so that they felt manageable, so that staff knew that there was no expectation for them to suddenly be able to do everything they were doing online, that it would take time, that we'd need to develop it carefully, that we were in it together. And then this kind of... Uh, our mantra emerged this pedagogy before platform you know so whatever you would have done in the classroom whatever pedagogical aims you had keep them what platform best suits uh, and that's how over the summer then so that we were ready for this september that's how we developed our our pedagogy blended learning model which has our six platforms and the pedagogy works across them all and so so that that was really important so yeah keep change minimal work with staff and do it gradually because it was it was a scary time i think and and trying to keep things manageable was really important and it sounds like you did a, a fantastic job at keeping staff and pupil well-being at the heart of it as well by working really closely with them, consulting them at every turn. You know, it's really great to hear about that collegiate, collaborative approach that, you know, is enshrined in our qualified teacher status standards and our, our broader standards for professional practice and, and leadership. So it's really great to hear that th that kind of culture that had been fostered prior to uh, the lockdown had really helped you to um, to operate from a real position of strength and to respond to those challenges. So thanks for sharing those thoughts. Now, of course, we can see little glimmers of hope on the horizon now. Um, as we're recording this, we've got some of our youngest learners returning uh, to schools this week and signs that uh, we may be opening the doors to our uh, year 11s, our year 12s, our year 13s. So some of our, our learners who are a little bit bit uh, closer to those really crucial exam years um, in our secondary context so you know we can see a glimmer of hope and, and dare I say it normality on the horizon but we know that and we've heard this phrase before that this is not going to be the same normal as before this is going to be a, a form of new normal so what does pedagogy maybe look like at Leg when we've got our pupils back face to face? Do you think there might be aspects that, you know, you've learned and you've found during this lockdown period and during this blended learning approach that you've been applying that will remain part of your whole school practice? Absolutely. I think for us kind of stressful and scary and hard as the lockdown period has been I think there are lots of positives we can take from it absolutely for us personally as a school our blended learning model 
we feel very strongly that it is that it's an effective blended learning model because it doesn't kind of separate school learning and online learning as two different things so we've worked really hard to make sure that for our pupils whether they're at home or online the only difference is the platform they're having to use to access that learning but the learning experiences should feel quite uh, calm and, and consistent and th they kind of take comfort from that so this was really important when we had periods of year group isolation with children in and out we didn't want them to feel like they had gaps or or disruption to their learning so in terms of our blended learning model it does have school as one of the platforms on top of the the platforms that would traditionally be accessed from home because we do see them as as a united blended learning model so for us you know i get i get quite frustrated about this at times because i think some of our young people have dealt with so much over the last uh, over the last few months and there's a lot in the press at the moment about you know that they've they're going to be a, a generation of pupils that have missed out or you know had disruptions there's a lot of lag negative language around it when actually i think there are just as many positives you know these are probably going to be some of our most resilient and independent learners that we've ever seen skills that we've kind of longed for in our learners for a long time the ability for them to organize themselves to to research effectively independently to demonstrate really purposeful digital skills i think some of the the things that these pupils have done that other learners won't have done is just as much reason to celebrate as well as to focus on on the other side of the coin so I do think that's really, really important and we'll, we're going to work really hard to take that and when our learners do return to us in the summer term to celebrate what they've achieved and we really don't want it to be a focus on, you know, catching up or pressure or rushing through content now. We, we just want to focus on the key skills that we want pupils to develop, the key things they need to move into their next stages and to also celebrate all the things that they've done because they will have achieved great things as well as all of the things that they've missed out on. I also think we're going to take a lot from this as a staff as well. This is the first time I think we've ever had things like professional learning that have been so flexible and personalised. Anecdotally, I've had lots of conversations with staff on site who are saying, you know, oh, I'm just signing up to this webinar or I've got this after school and being able to take ownership of their professional learning it has reinvigorated them and motivated them and staff are exploring and researching more than ever, I think. I think it'll change the way we meet and distribute information as a school we've already started moving to things like video tutorials to communicate key messages that can be accessed flexibly by staff and our parents as opposed to filling up calendars with meeting time so you know I'm not for one minute saying that the pandemic hasn't had a lot of negative uh, impacts but I, I do think with the brighter days on the horizon looking at the positives now it is really really important and i think as a school there's a lot we will take from this and try to maintain 
Well, that's a really positive kind of end uh, to to a really interesting discussion. Um, there's loads in there, and I hope that uh, all of our listeners have got plenty to take away from that. Um, let's move on to what we tend to call the homework slots now. Find out if you've done your homework. Would you like to share something with our listeners, perhaps uh, some kind of strategy to try, either in the classroom or, or more widely? So I was having a big think about this and I'm not taking credit for this one. This is something that's cropped up within school from a lot of different other members of staff. But one thing we're loving at the moment is um, an extension to Google Chrome called Mote, M-O-T-E. And that can be embedded into Google Classroom so that when you want to comment on pupils' work or give feedback, you can highlight sections of what they've written. And in the bit where you add a comment, instead of uh, written feedback, you can click on the little moat icon and it allows you to leave verbal feedback for students. So I know there are lots of different apps for leaving verbal feedback, but this one we really like because it allows you to really zoom in on those particular comments. So they're short, snappy, focused and linked to exactly the sentence that that you want the pupils to focus on. So, yeah, that's one of our big wins at the moment is saving us a hell of a lot of time when it comes to marketing and and, um, uh, giving feedback to our pupils. I love a bit of voice feedback. I don't think it gets enough, uh, enough credit for being a good thing, voice feedback. Definitely not. It's a massive time saver as well. We found that it saves a lot of time when it comes to comparing that to how long written feedback takes. So you've you've told us a lot about um, all of the reading that you've been having to do, you know, in the run up to, uh, to formulating those pillars and you've done your master's so reading is obviously something that you are doing a lot of and obviously engaging with lots of interesting material have you got something interesting to share with our listeners today so I think this is something I often um, share with the ITE students when they're working on their research and it's not new and lots of people use it but Twitter I just think in a busy schedule and a busy teaching career, finding time for research can feel like one of the most difficult things. And unfortunately, it can be the thing that drops off most easily or is seen as the the kind of um, like the extra thing that you have to do when we know how important it is to combine that with practice. So I love Twitter because it almost does a lot of the work for you. Just a quick scroll through. If you're following the right people and the right hashtags, you can suddenly access three or four bigger texts or bigger pieces of research that you might want to look at. And then, you know, I just kind of save them and and look back at them at, at a different time. But I think a lot of our student teachers think that research is only in kind of, I don't know how to explain it, but like more traditionally academic places like uh, school libraries and online libraries and things like that, which are great. But I've just found Twitter makes it really time efficient. And, you know, I might not be able to read it all there and then, but it gives me the threads and, and the people who I want to read up more about. And I think it's great in terms of keeping on top of, of what's out there. And I'm really looking forward to hearing your answer to the final one of our homework slots. How does someone with 800 jobs look after their well-being? 
um, right, so it's, it's hard sometimes. I'm not going to pretend it's not. Um, when I've tried lots of different things and they change all the time because you know what it's like. There's ebbs and flows and sometimes you feel like you're really on top of it and other times you feel like you're just not. But one thing I'm trying at the moment is, um, so at the end of each day, I make a list of the things I want to do the next day. And I found that really helps me because it breaks everything down. Sometimes I get a bit um, overwhelmed when I think about how many things there are to do in a week or a month or, you know, so I found breaking it down into daily tasks is important. I always make my big lists at the start of half term so I know what I'm aiming for, but then I make these daily lists then. And I think doing them just at the end of the day helps you to switch off then because you feel like you've got it under control, you know what's coming up tomorrow and you can switch off then because when you log in the next day, um, you've got your list there ready it's made me a lot more efficient so yeah that's one that's working well at the moment but I'll let you know in a few more weeks <laughs> <laughs> we do love a list uh, Tom and I we've got various shared lists that uh, we uh, keep keep tabs on all the time don't we Tom and we return to them over a cuppa every every now and then but we like you like closing a few things off at the end of the day so that uh, we don't have that sense of panic you know that can creep into our personal lives in the evening so I'm, I'm on board with that one so we'd like to say a big thank you to you Abby for giving us your time today and as ever you are incredibly inspiring to listen to on on so many levels we wish you all the very best at Bayesleg as you kind of move forwards and uh, rise to the the new challenges that I'm sure will come our way over the coming months and years but I think ultimately it's really great to hear you talking about you know what the learners have gained from this period and how we move forward from a position of you know really value what they've come through and, and help them to move forward because as you said they've they've actually gained a lot in this time and resilience as as you mentioned is, is an important one to acknowledge for the future so we wish you all the best and we thank you so much for all the work that you do with our student teachers as well stay safe and well Abby thank you thank you very much and that's the end of another episode we'll be back in your ears in two weeks time You've been listening to Emma and Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. The special guest this episode was Abby Chase, who's Associate Head Teacher at Bayesleg School just outside Newport. Thanks to Abby for taking part. Podcast artwork is by Beth Blandford and the music is by Cameron Stewart. We'll be back in your ears in a fortnight with something else interesting. Until then, take care and enjoy teaching. Enjoy teaching.